What that means is if you're in Christ, truly in Christ, you can never be out of Christ. And now, I know what someone may think. You may think, well, I know such and so was a professing Christian. Now they're not a professing Christian, so that's not true. There's one or two answers. Either they were not in Christ to begin with, or they're in Christ and they're wandering away, but um, you'll see them back uh, one great day. So um, if you read the next paragraph of that, perhaps later, um, the devil doesn't want us to have the assurance that we belong to God. So the devil can lead true Christians into the broad path for a time, but the devil's not stronger than the Holy Spirit. So um, if you don't see them back in this life, you'll see them back in the next life. Okay, we're in... um, which is a comfort, by the way. Acts 14. We're going to read verses 19 through 28. Verse 19, hear God's word. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. They passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they arrived, they gathered the church together. They began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door to faith to the Gentiles. They spent a long time with disciples. God's word. May he bless it to his glory and to our edification and comfort in Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, you're a great God, you're a good God, you're a mighty God, and you're a merciful God. And we pray, oh God, that you would have mercy upon me. Guide me, thou my great Jehovah. Words of my lips, meditation of my heart, may be according to the book, even this passage. And for all of us, that we would be found in the last day to be True sheep, uh, true, um, true wheat, Lord, your people. And that holy Jesus Christ, we would be conformed into your holy image. And if there are any here this morning that are not converted to you, Jesus Christ, may today be the day. And we would give you great, um, great praise. Bless your work, Lord God. Use us as your servants. In Christ's name, amen. Well... What we're going to do here, the book of Acts has been an interesting book. I've thoroughly enjoyed just preparing sermons and studying in my way through this. And so I've chosen a large, large for me, a large passage. And what I found 
in my construction phase, I actually have two or three phases <laughs> of building a sermon, constructing a sermon. And in my construction phase, which is my first phase, um, I found that there are legitimately two, three, maybe even four sermons. And so I was intending to go one particular place and ended up seeing that there, there is enough here, um, subject matter-wise, to, um, to have a couple of sermons. We've done this already through a few passages. We've picked a passage with the intention of looking at one doctrine. And then as we get into it, we find, you know what, there are three separate standalone doctrines here. And I, I think we found that. So the larger, I, I, I would say, what we're looking at in this particular section, it's kind of reflected in my sermon title, the main teaching, one of the main teachings of this passage this morning is that the Lord Jesus Christ, as the head of his church, the king of his church, he uses his servants, in this case, gospel servants, and in this particular case, the servant Paul, the apostle Paul, Barnabas, who's also called an apostle, that would make for a fun Bible study, and then then other unnamed gospel servants that are going out as preacher, missionary, evangelists, and they're building up the church. They're establishing the church, which is the household of God, or the family of God, the people of Christ. They're establishing it. Unbelievers going to believers. Now you have a church. And then they're edifying it. They're building it up. And they're going back and forth. And they're, they're teaching them all that the Lord Jesus Christ has uh, commanded uh, in keeping with the Great Commission, Matthew 28. So you, you see servants of Christ's are ministering the gospel of Jesus, and they're building up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a very brief aside, maybe in later sermons we'll touch on this, this would be one passage I would go to if I I met with a well-meaning professing Christian that said, I'm a professing Christian, I don't attend church. I don't have ministers, I don't have elders, I don't go to church, I sit at the home, but I'm a Christian. This would be one passage that I would go to and say, look at this passage. Paul goes to the church. There's a gathering of a church. They know who these people are. They're various disciples. They gather together. So this would be a passage that testifies that Jesus has died to save his church, Ephesians chapter 5. But we are th- there's two words for church. Kaleo, it's a compound word, the called out, called out of sin, called out of the world. And then the synagogue, they gathered together. This is a 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 18. So it's the gathering together. We're here to build one another up, speaking with other Christians. Let me tell you what the Lord has done. And so, do I understand why folks stay away from the church? Yes, I do. We get a bee in our bonnet. Somebody at church makes us mad. We think the preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. Or we just desire to be alone and have no one tell us what to do. I understand all of those things. But we're going to hurt ourselves. And we're going to cut ourselves off from this which is the, the edification by the Holy Spirit through the ministry of fellow Christians. Servants serving servants. And so we're, we're, we, are, we are needy people. You are needy. I know some, when I was, before I was 18, I couldn't wait to hit 18. Man, I, you know, I'm gone. I don't want to listen to, I'm gone. I don't, I don't want to be needy. You're needy at 19, you're needy at 20, you're needy at 40. You're ne- you might be needy for various things. Now at 18, I didn't need you to lead, lead me around. At 18, I didn't need fake teeth to help me chew. I had teeth back then. So we have various expressions of need, but we, we are always needy. And the brothers and the sisters, the fellow servants, they're God's gift to the church.
to help us, whether it's emotionally, whether it's financially, physically. So we, we see that. So that's kind of one of the main teachings. And when we look at servants helping other servants, building up the church, what we're considering, it, we, t- we touched on this last week, and it's an expression of how Christ ordinarily governs his church. So there's an ordinary providence by which God governs everything, and then an extraordinary. Extraordinary is miracles. Now, <clears throat> if you're super-duper Reformed, then you know there are some super-duper Reformed people that write whole books on why there are no miracles. But you have to be super-duper Reformed. You can't be regular Reformed. You have to be really in the know to know this. And then when you read these guys, you're going to find out that they're even way smarter than you, but, you, but they don't know miracles. I am a Christian that actually believes in a miracle. I think that God is free to do miracles whenever he wants. And then I think when God comes back, there's going to be miraculous signs and so on. But I know what my brothers are saying when they say no miracles. But extraordinary providence is when God does something without ordinary means or against the properties of those ordinary means. And what we're looking at here is how God helps the church. Ordinarily, he does it ordinarily with ordinary means. That means he uses secondary causes. He has a preacher go to people that haven't heard Jesus. This is a Romans 10, 1 through 17. How are they going to hear about Jesus unless what? And what's funny, we just prayed for the young man who's probably, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 something we just prayed for. How will people, how will people that have not heard Jesus before hear? Some 18-year-old kid, 19, 20-year-old young man, hey, want to know about Jesus? Like this? Want to know about Jesus? So people go from unbelief to belief because someone that's a believer comes with the message of Jesus. That's what ordinary means. And how are they going to be built up in Jesus Christ? It's again through ordinary means. And so I commit to you the larger catechism question on how God brings his elect and saves them and sanctifies them. It's through preaching. It's through ordinary means. It's the word and the sacrament. Now there was... I listened to a reform. I did a bunch of driving to Fort Pierce, which is way down South Florida. I had not been down this far in 95 in, boy, almost 30 years. I told Mona, I said, I'm 100 miles from Miami. This is a haul. And so I'm listening to all these religious programs. And one man was talking about his Bible knowledge he had. And he said, you know where I learned all my Bible at? He said, at my mother's knees. His mother. He said, my whole life, my mother would come home and she would read the Bible and would pray over the Bible. Bible, just content of Bible. It was his mother. (laughs) But that's the ordinary means. This is a 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Timothy, you know why you know Bible? Ordinary means. You had a Bible teacher. It was your mother. You had a Bible teacher. It was your grandmother. So if you're a mother or a grandmother, you're a little gospel feeder. And who do you get to feed? People that love you. So I know sometimes, well, I can't, women can't be preachers. You, it's better for you. Preachers, my relationship with you is ecclesiastical and obviously spiritual, but as a mother, you wiped that little kid. You taught him to walk. You fed that little kid. And they love you. And you get to pour God's word into them. Ordinary means. Now, in all of this business, who causes the growth? 1 Corinthians 3. Who, who makes it effectual? God does. But he uses means. And that's the point. 
We're going to look in just a bit at the larger subject of servanthood or servantship in Christ, which is kind of the delineation I, I want to go in this particular passage. God uses means, ordinary means. He uses word. He uses sacrament. How does God feed us? He sends us to work. We get food and drink. That's how he feeds us. So when we consider um, both the, the, the identity, the reality of the church, our membership into some body of professing believers, and the place in the body that we occupy, and the fact that we shouldn't forsake the gathering together, because it's necessary for us, it helps us, and we help other people. There was someone in the church that reached out and said, hey, I'm moving, and can anyone help? And I shot a note to the church, and people are off helping. That's this. That's this. And the church gathered together, and the church built up the church. That's this. I think about the, uh, the little Asher. We were unbelievers when my kids were that age. And then when we became believers, I looked and said, wouldn't it be awesome if we were Christians when the kids were little? Because you have people that want to help. That's this. So we have the church. Then we have God using ordinary means, him blessing those ordinary means. But underlying the use of ordinary means is this. We're, 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 we're Calvinists. I'm a Calvinist. We're Reformed Christians. I'm not Arminian. All of those th- things are true. I believe that God ordains everything. Re- if you want to have your mind blown, read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He works everything to the counsel of his own will. I mean everything. Martin Luther, even the, d- the dust that flies around, he does everything. Yep, that's what he says. Ephesians 1, 1. And you think, how does that work? He knows when the sparrow hits the ground. He knows when all my hair, which I'm, I have to do. A former president did like a swirl technique on his hair. And I used to laugh when he did the swirl technique. I'm like, ha, 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 he's doing the swirl technique. I, I'm, I have the swirl technique. It's going. Does he know when all of my hair hits the deck? He knows it all. All my teeth I broke. Did he know every one of them that was coming out? He knew it all. That's an expression of the sovereignty of God. He governs everything that he creates, and he creates everything. Does that doctrine of the utter sovereignty of God make us go like this? Well, guess there's nothing for me to do. I'll just be sitting back over here. I don't even need to comb my hair in the swell technique, because God will do it. No. Sometimes we meet folks, well-meaning folks, in the Reformed camp, they should be a little quiet, maybe. Because, look, this is what this means. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. It's almost like sit in the Barker lounger and people will find out about Jesus. The guy writes a, a text to me and says, hey, can anybody in the church help me move um, at my, my house on Friday? And I would look at the text and go, do, do, do. maybe God will send them. No. Here's what I did. I texted the church, I emailed the church, and I said, oh God, send someone. Do you see? That's this. If the sovereignty makes you, if the supposed sovereignty of God makes you lazy, if the supposed, your understanding of the sovereignty of God makes you passive in your Christianity, you just sit back in the Barker lounger, you've misunderstood This passage, you can underline it. The Christian life is active. Repent, believe, reform, get in a boat and go, walk 60 miles to Derby, 
Open your mouth. Teach, preach, get stoned, get up, walk back. Active, active, active. And then we do what? Jesus, read the high priestly prayer. John 17. Make them believe. Send out the gospelers. Use the means, but cause the growth. That's the right understanding, I think, of the sovereignty of God. I don't deny the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He, he ordains the ends, but he ordains the means unto the ends. You can't take away the means. Does that make sense? So it, it, it's an active life. So we have the church, we have the ordinary means, we have the blessing and the efficacy by God the Holy Spirit. Now, the larger subject that I really want us to consider and I've been hinting at is the general subject of servanthood. That's what this passage is. So what we're going to do is we're going to start macro, this sermon only, just the themes that we find here, and then maybe in future sermons we'll kind of chop it up. We'll see how, how, how I can do. But the whole notion that we want to get here this morning is that Paul is a servant, Barnabas is a servant, we have unnamed servants, and we are, we are servants. I want us to leave. I'm t- talking to brothers and sisters in the Lord. I want every one of us to leave this morning thinking, saying to ourselves, I am a servant of the living God. Doulos, we're going to talk about this as a slave or a servant. I'm a doulos. Of, you know, now... If you, some of the ladies, um, they don't go to the doctors and have a baby anymore. I suppose you can do this at a, at a hospital. I don't know. They'll call them a doula, right? You've heard this, ladies who will call doulas. And those are ladies, that, like a midwife. And it's just the feminine form of a, of, of, a, of a servant. So it's a lady servant that helps you give birth to a little baby. So we're, we're, we're doulas. That's male, nominative, singular whatever, my Greek training, but we're, we're servants. So that, that's what I want to consider, the notion that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were here from my Sunday school, when we're looking at this larger subject, Paul goes out, Barnabas goes out, the idea of servant, serving Jesus by serving other people. In our Sunday school, we're dealing with the catechism on what duty God requires of us. First, we believe savingly in God and Christ, and now we live for God in Christ. That's the obedience part. Do I realize that there are expressions of Christianity that say, well, you just believe in Jesus, and then nothing, you just kind of just, just live for yourself. Yes, I'm, very, I'm aware of that. That's not Bible Christianity. I don't have anything to do with that. If you ask a person, so show me in the Bible, they're going to show you a perversion of Romans 6, 1 through 10, and then if you show them the rest of the Bible, they won't have an answer for you. So no one has been saved by Jesus Christ to just live for themselves. You can't show me in the Bible. It's not there. We have not been saved to live for ourselves. We have not been saved by what we do. But we have been saved unto obedience. We've been saved by God's grace, but even though obedience is a gift of God. Read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, is God in Christ opened your blind eyes and gave you faith in Jesus. In verse 9 and 10, is he gave you even the, 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 the good works to do. So our faith is a gift. We've been saved by faith in Jesus. But then he says, now I have work for you to do. Even that's a gift. When we were kids in the, ch- in the church, in our church, we didn't pass the hat the way we passed the hat. There were a couple of guys that had a stick with a basket on it. And they would run it down the aisle. 
Has, am I the only one that's ever seen this? They run it down the aisle. When I was a kiddo, my father would hand me a quarter, and then I would stick it in the basket like it was my quarter. Like that. God has given us a body. God has made our spirit alive. God has saved us. And God sticks a quarter in our hands that he made and said, now put it in the basket. Gift, 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 gift. See what I mean? And so when we come here, we are looking at the fact that we have, we have not been saved by our serving, but we have been saved unto serving. Amen to that? We have been saved not by our law-keeping, but we have been saved unto law-keeping. If you say, well, I'm born again, and I just live for trashing the Ten Commandments, you need to see me after this service. Do not let the sun go down on you, because you're in a bad place. We've not been saved from our sin to live in our sin. Jesus Christ says, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and Sadducees, you will not what? Enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about living a life that glorifies the gospel in serving. Think that. Servant, service, that's why Christ has saved us. For his own glory, of course. And not because we're good servants. We're saved because he's a good savior. But we have been saved to serve him. That's the purpose. You know, I forget what's it all about Alfie, what's it all about Alice, whatever that was. And we talk about, we've talked about before midlife crisis, People, if you're not there, you think it's a joke, whether you're young and you think it's a joke because you're not there, or whether you just have more money and more health and less feeling and you think it's a joke. It's not a joke. It is not a joke. There are a lot of people that get to a place and go, I don't even know why I exist. I don't even want to live. It's not a joke. That's not a joke. If you think it's a joke, you should pray about that. It's not a joke. Beloved, do you have a purpose? God tells you you have a purpose in the Word. Not just me. I'm just His servant. God tells you, here's your purpose. You're my servant. The servant of the living God. The servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. To live for His glory and to enjoy serving Him. That's what it's all about. I told my son who was in the military, when, I said, man, when you leave, they won't even know your name. Oh, I want to be a team player. And this is the truth for working at a company or wherever you work. When you leave, they won't even know your name. They'll put a plaque, maybe. They won't know your name. Wouldn't it be better to say, well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. I know your name. It's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have purpose. It's not found in the creature. It's not found in any creation. It's not found in things. It's found in the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. That's your purpose. And that's necessary. When When we don't have purpose, what am I living for? It's not good. It's not good physically. It's not good intellectually. It's not good emotionally, spiritually. It's not good. You have purpose. You belong to God. He has purchased you with his precious blood. You belong to God. You belong to Christ. You're his. So when someone says, well, you're, you're and of course, people are usually better critics. I'm, gonna he- I'm here to build you up. And the first, the way that I'm going to build you up is I'm going to tear you down. Am I right with this? People have criticism down to a fine art. They're like Jackie Chan, good at criticism. Here's what you need to do. Good criticism you should listen to. But 99% of it, you should say, you know what, thanks for sharing. I know I'm a bum. I know I've never done anything good. I know that's what you say. God says I belong to him. 
Christ says, I'm his. Christ says, I'm his servant. So don't listen to what people will tell you. Listen to what your Christ will tell you. Amen? <laughs> okay, so we're servants. Enough of my rant. Now, again, we're looking at this thematically. What's going on? You have servants serving Jesus by serving other servants of Jesus. That's what's going on. I mentioned earlier, the one, there are two main words in Greek. I'll, I'll give a couple of different words, but there are two main the two main words are doulos and diakonos. Doulos and diakonos. Doulos can mean either slave or servant. And my kids used to call themselves SB and SG. So they, when they were little in the house, they said we had children. They would accuse my wife and I of having children in order to have house slaves. So they called themselves slave boy and slave girl. Now, you want to say, listen, you kids who cost me, I pay my money out the yin-yang for you guys. You think you're my slaves? I'm your slave. But they always said, we're slave boys, SB and SG. There's a difference between a slave and a servant. Slave, you own them. A servant, you don't own. Maybe they're indentured, they work seven years and they get to go. But for our purpose, I want to kind of combine both. The, the, the doulos is, um, uh, Paul does this constantly. He says, I'm a doulos of Christ. He, he says, slave, I'm a slave. I'm a slave, slave. He is my master, and um, he purchased me. This is the Heidelberg Catechism I just referenced, and I belong to him. Now, when we're looking at this general subject of servanthood, we're slaves. But slavery to Christ is freedom, and non-slavery to Christ is really slavery. It's servile slavery to the devil. But we're we're owned. And we we come purchased. We're ransomed. We're redeemed. We were sold in the slave market. There was a price to be paid for us. And the price wasn't our good works. And the price wasn't prayers of, of mama, grandmother, mother, father. No one. What's the price? If we could save our children and our grandchildren, we'd mortgage our house and save them. We would do it. Am I right with that? We would do it. Can we do it? No. So what do we do? We get down on our face. Oh, save them. Apply the blood of Jesus, Holy Spirit. Apply the blood of Jesus. What about election? Apply the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, apply the blood. Buy them. Purchase them. Apply that. And we don't belong to ourselves anymore. This is why, you know, every once in a while there's a question, can I get a tattoo? And... And then one side of the church, the more fundamental side of the church, says, well, you can't get a tattoo because in the Old Testament there's no tattoos and it's paganish. I understand all that. I don't know. I think that's a bad use of the Old Testament myself. I'm not arguing for tattoos. Because if you get one and you're young and it looks good, when you're old it doesn't look good anyways. But, and if you put them on your face, you're going to be, I don't know, it won't go good. You won't have a good job. So if you get one, I don't know. I don't know. But we're not our own. That's the whole point. So when we're looking at servanthood, and the Bible comes along and says, your Christ is your mice, is that a good thing? Is that a good thing to be owned by Jesus? To say, he purchased me. So when your unbelieving family and friends say, so you think you're so good you're going to heaven, and I'm so bad I'm going to hell, you say, no, 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 no. I'm way worse than you are. Well, how are you going to heaven? Because he's so good. 
What's that? Nothing but the nothing but the what will make me white as snow? Blood. That's doulos. That's slave. But then it can be translated servant. And the ordinary Greek word for servant is diakonos. And where do we get that term diakonos from? What English word? We have deacon. That means servant. And servants, here's a quiz. Servants do what? (laughs) Servants do what? They serve. Many years ago, many, many years ago, when I was in um, seminary, Dr. Nick Wilborn, great guy, fabulous fabulous guy. I say, Dr. Wilborn, so when you're in the church, how do you know who should be what kind of officer and who should do what? And, and I was asking about deacons. How do you know deacon? He said, look around. If there's a need of some kind, look and see who does it without office. That's your guy. Something falls over. A widow needs something. Something, something, something needs something. And the guy is over there. He has the gift. You see what I mean? He just wants the work. I've said this a million times. I am always leery of someone. I want the title before I do the work. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's the exact opposite. I don't care about the title. What do you want? I want the work. I just want to serve. I just, what needs doing? That's, that's serving. What needs doing? So we're owned by him. We have been purchased, not by our serving, but unto serving. And we serve God directly, and then we serve God indirectly by serving other people. So it's, it's that. And so there is another Greek word, I've mentioned this before, that Paul uses, I think, once or twice. Paul calls himself, I'm a hooperetto. This runs contrary to the flesh, by the way. Hooperetto is an under rower. You're, you're in a galley slit, you're a galley slave, but you're like on the second deck, the underneath deck. Bad enough that you're a galley slave, you're, you're taught. You're chained to your oar. You're not going anywhere. You're, but you're the hooperetto, the under rower. Imagine being a galley slave in the bottom deck. How would that be? Paul says, that's what I am. I'm chained to Jesus. I'm chained to his Bible. I'm chained to his people. I'm chained to his kingdom. <laughs> and I row. And he glories in it. None of this is bad. Being a slave of Christ, being a servant of Christ, being a hooperetto. Wow, it doesn't really look, oh, this is awesome. Where are you going? I can't go anywhere. Why can't you go anywhere? Because I'm chained to Jesus. Why do you serve the, tri- the church? Because I'm chained to the church. Boy, it stinks and smells down here. Isn't it great that there are people here? We'll think that's ridiculous. If you're a pig farmer and your pig farm smells great, what does that mean about your pig farm? You're broke. That's what that means, Right? And, I, and I'm not being silly. There's a place in the Minor Prophets. My wife will tell me later when I get home from church. There's a place that says, even if our stalls are clean, I'm going to praise you. Maybe Lamentations. I forget. If you're a farmer and you have a clean stall, you're broke. <laughs> when you walk into your stall and you're like, man, this smells like cow. What do you do? Thank you, Lord. We're eating. So if you tell me, well, you're a hooperetto, you're an under rower, it stinks down here. Yeah. Smell that? What does that smell like? People. That smells like people. We serve people. You say, well, people are messy. Yeah. Awesome. They're messy. If it doesn't smell, that means there are no people for you to serve. And you're not serving. We are created communal creatures 
And the three communities are the first one's the family, the second one's the church, the third one's the state. We're communal. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to tell my dad, I want to be a hermit. I want to just run off and live in the woods by myself and be a hermit. That's a sin that comes from the fall. I know people do it. You don't want people, what's the song? Uh, I'm a rock, blah, 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 blah. I'm an island, blah, 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 blah. No one can hurt me. That's sin. Because I'm a sinner and I don't want to be around sinners. But we're created for fellowship. And you know what? This is what people, when they're young, they get married, they think their wife doesn't stink or their husband doesn't stink. They're all beautiful and smell good. And when they're, the hooperettos change to them, they find, why you're kind of a pain in the neck. Yeah, because they're real people. They're real. Have a couple of kids. They're real. And you've got to minister really to them. And praise God for the hardships. Praise God for that. Because it means you're working. And there's work to do. When a guy says, I've got no work, you pity him. Right? And we all complain about our... I don't complain about my job. But we all complain. Oh, I got, oh it's a pain in the neck. They're all a pain in the neck. Praise God for the pain in the neck. Because if I take away that job from you and there's no pain in the neck, you've got bigger problems. So we're the doulos. We're the diakonos. We're the huperetto. And then Paul uses elsewhere these two other words. One's therapia. Therapia. He says we're therapia. What's a th- Where do we get our English word? Therapy. It means to heal people. This is, I don't want to get myself on a tirade on this. We are people that heal other, that's, as Christ's servants, in the name of Jesus, with the love of Jesus, with the power of Jesus, we are therapia to other Christians and other non-Christians. We help heal them. We, the idea is we do good to them. Oh boy, this is convicting. Isn't this convicting? Come to the church. I'm a therapia. Wham! <laughs> oh, oh, that doesn't feel very therapia. I have to hurt you for Jesus' name. One time George said, I forget when it was, maybe at a congregational meeting, he said, no one's ever going to say at the end of your life, I wish I was more bitter or more nasty to people. Right? We have been created in the good one, born again in the good one, to, to imitate the good one. And he went around doing what? Therapia. Doing good to people. What, what, what's the, it's a common phrase. Hurt people, hurt, hurt people. Something like that. Right? Hurt people, hurt people. Like you sometimes say, he's a hurting bird. That's why he hurts other people. He got kicked in the teeth. That's why he kicks other people in the teeth. But we're not natural men. We're supernatural. We're born again in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the prayers of Christ. The love of the Father. As Christ's servants, we're his walking, talking, do-good servants. How can I help? How can I heal? How can I build up? We talked about this morning, I think, like, I said something to the effect of, like, when we correct people, we need to speak to people as if everybody's a 12-year-old girl. And I know we get offended, but I, I, what I meant by that is we need to treat people to be tender to their feelings, even people that are like Marines with a machine gun and they think they don't need it. You especially need it. We all need it. Who needs it straight, hard, and fast between the eyes? Because if I give it to you, I know it's going to happen. You quit the church and you get a bee in your bonnet. How do we need therapia? Treat people how you want to be treated. Loving, kind, gracious, 
Try to build them up. You want to correct them? Try to build them up. Try to do good to them. And the other word is oikonomos. It's a house servant. It's a house steward. This is back to the idea of church. We're church people. How do, we, how do the people around you know the needs that you have in their life? Because they talk to you. And the house steward gives the people their food in their due time. And they give to each one what they need. If someone says, well, hey, I don't need. God has a body. And in the body there may be poor folks in the body and there may be richer folks in the body. Why are there poor folks and rich folks in the same body? Because the poor folks need the rich folks. And why are there poor, poor folks? Because the rich folks need to help the poor folks. Do you see what I mean? So God has this glorious, diverse body. This is the First Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12. And we exist to serve Jesus Christ as we serve other people. Now I will say, the whole notion of servanthood, girding our loins, getting down, brushing dirty, stinking feet, it's an imitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I know something. Our flesh does not want to serve. What did Jesus say? I've not come to be served, but to do what? To serve. Our flesh flips that around. Our flesh says, I have not come to serve, but I have come to be served. Our flesh says, the chief end of myself is to glorify self and enjoy self forever. But we're not that, beloved. They're, they're, if you look up in the dictionary, English dictionary, synonyms for the word servant, it will do, we don't use this kind of language anymore, but it's, it's legitimately a lackey. We use that in my house. People would call, you would call people a lackey or a menial. A, you're a drudge. Um, a lackey is like, what are, you, what are you, I'm not a lackey. I have worth. But see, the flesh says, I will not submit to the authority of another and serve another. I will be served. This is the book of Judges 17 and 21. Our flesh says, I will do what's right in my own eyes. I am the superior. I'm not the subordinate. And in our culture today, I don't want to date myself. Um, my parents were very friendly to me. They were crazy loving parents. But at the same time, they were the authority. Make no mistake about it. I lived in a very traditional home. My dad was insanely devoted to my mother. My, dad, my mom was insanely devoted to my dad. But man, my father, he was the boss. And, and, and my mother, it, it was like, it was boss one and boss two. And then we were way down on that totem pole. Way down. Right? There's authority. There's a submission. Our country has it topsy-turvy. The kids think they're the authority. You got it wrong. The, 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 that's the flesh saying, I will not serve. But beloved, we're not drudges. We're not lackeys. What are we? We belong to Christ. All those things that we just talked about. So the reason the non-believer doesn't understand this is because they don't have eyes to see. They think how awful you have to serve Jesus Christ. We think what? How privileged we are to be snatched away from our sin, to be on our way to hell, to have God and Christ save us, and to condescend to say, and now I want to use you. You're going to use me. You're going to, yep, I'm going to use you. And so we see here a little bit the nature of the service. It's, it's, and I'm going to just touch on one bit and then I'm going to end. 
It's an active service, as I've mentioned. Maybe we'll look at it in future sermons. But one of the things that Paul does, and this is the aspect I want to close on, is um, he, he gets stoned. They try to kill him. And these are the people that just before they tried to kill him, um, you remember what they did in Lystra? You're a god. This is the nature of serving people. Get ready. On one day of being Jesus' servant, serving people, people are going to go, you're the greatest. You preach better than John Calvin. That's on Monday. On Monday afternoon, what? By the way, I have to kill you. (laughs) But this is everybody. This is all of us as Christians. We serve people, serve people for Christ's sake. Wherever God has placed you, all of the labors, the people, and this is not specifically just gospel. This is in your school, with your kiddos, with your grandkids, in your work. Everything is devoted to Jesus. Be the best pilot, the best student, the best mom, for Christ's sake. I'm going to serve, 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 serve. And we we, we see that people are very, very fickle. I I sometimes think that uh, being a minister, not outside of this church, but it's kind of like being a mom. I, I hate to say this, but I think sometimes being a mom is a thankless job. I know there are some kids that do a, a Proverbs 31. They rise and call their moms blessed. You ought to, if your mother's alive, you ought to rise and call her blessed. Um, a lot of times a mother is just poor, poor, poor their, their life into their kids, small and big, and there's no commensurate Hey, Ma, thank you. Hey, Mom, God, you're blessing. God, you've blessed me with this woman. But you know what? That doesn't slow the minister down. That shouldn't slow the mom down. It shouldn't slow us down. They're going to worship Paul, and then they stone him. And here's, here's what I wonder. What did Paul do to Christians back in, is it Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 9? What did he do to Christians? He stoned them. And, and now he's a Christian. And what are they doing to him? They're stoning him. He, he, he says this later, so I know that this is true. As Christ's servants, let's just apply it to spreading the gospel or building people up in Christ. We're all saved sinners, beloved. We were Christ-haters. We were sin lovers. And Christ had mercy on us. And so Paul can press on and press on and press on in the face of Christ haters because he used to be one. When God puts a person in your life that's super difficult or the situation is super difficult, beloved, look at your life. Has Christ not changed you in him and done miraculous things in and through you, can he, can he not do it to that person? So Paul is able to work as a minister of Jesus, able to extend, there's forgiveness in Christ for people that hate Christians. How do you know, Paul? Because I'm one. And I want to forgive you. I want you to be my brother. I want you to be my sister. And I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on, and I'm going to press on because we belong to Christ and we're his servants. And he does wonderful... Beloved, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, last verse. 
all of your service for Christ. Most of it, no one ever says, boy, good girl, most of it. But guess what? God, God doesn't forget one bit. Anything that you do for, for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything. Anything. And at the end of your life, as Christ's servant, he's going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.